Welcome to the Susquehanna Valley Baptist Pulpit, preaching a life worth living, abundant life in Christ. And now the message. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Find out what it really says. <laughs> I'm kidding. Kidding. That was a great that was a great message. Praise the Lord. Oh my. I couldn't believe it when he got up and he said, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. I thought, oh no. But if he'd have gotten all over what I had, I was just going to go to two other messages I have in my Bible. I'm always ready to preach. And so I think any preacher who comes to a conference where he's not preaching first better have more than one message in his Bible. Amen. If not, he better at least have another message in his heart. But I want to begin reading at verse 9. Notice it says, Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed from Thessalonica. Crescens to Galatia, Titus unto Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. Antichicus have I sent to Ephesus. The cloak that I left at Troas with Carpus, when thou comest, bring with thee, and the books, but especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. Of whom be thou where also, for he hath greatly withstood our words. At my first answer, no man stood with me. Boy, that always troubles me. With all that Paul had done at his first answer. Now, we're not sure which time he's talking about. Are we talking about the first time before Nero? Are we talking about the first time when he was called with the Sanhedrin there? And he got up and noticed the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And that bothers me because the only reason he was at that temple was because Pastor James was listening to rumors about him and said, now listen, we've heard this about you. What you need to do is you need to go to the temple and make a pledge. He was there to please the Jerusalem church that he had just sent and brought a big offering to. And his first answer, where's Pastor James? He's not there. Where are those six men that he went down to do the pledge with? They're not there. You know what that tells me? This is just extra now. I'm not into the message yet. I have found this out. You go out of your way to try to please some people, doesn't please them at all. Just be who you are. Don't go out of your way to try to please some people who aren't going to like you anyway. Amen. Anyway, that, that was free. He says in, uh, let's go back to that verse. At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, and by me the preaching might be fully known that all the Gentiles might hear, and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. And the Lord delivered me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I want to bring a message I've entitled, Just Another Preacher. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. And I thank you, dear God. Thank you for your son. Thank you for his sacrifice. Thank you for his resurrection from the dead. Thank you, Lord, for the call to preach the gospel. God, what a marvelous privilege it has been over these years. And I just pray you'd bless our time together. 
I know we've already heard great things, things that we needed to hear. Dear God, things we needed to be reminded of, things we need to be challenged over. And God, I pray that you would continue to do so, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I was pastoring my first church after Bible college, Tennessee Ridge Baptist Church in Tennessee Ridge, Tennessee, 60 miles due west of Nashville. If you went to Tennessee Ridge, you were either lost or you were going there on purpose because when you went through Tennessee Ridge, just another mile or two, you came to the Tennessee River and there was no bridge going over it. That's just the way it was. A little town of 800 people and we had one store. That was it. If we wanted to buy a thing more, we had to go to Aaron, a city of 2,000 people. That was all. They had a few more stores, or we had to drive all the way up to Clarksville. But I'd been here, been there for three and a half years, and God had called me to go to Manchester, Tennessee, to pastor Temple Baptist Church there. I went into my barber. My barber was a Southern Baptist pastor, retired. And uh, so now he was just barbering to make some extra money and perhaps get in on the gossip of the town. I walked in that time and he said, well, Brother Allison, he said, I understand you're leaving us. I said, where'd you hear that? He said, well, some are crying and some are shouting. And I laughed at that. I thought that was funny. And then he said to me, he said, Brother Allison, he said, "I I want you to know you need to get this. He said, I don't care how much you love those people. And I don't care how much you think they love you. To those people, you're just another preacher. Oh, that lit my fire. That got me mad. I mean, I'd gone without vacations to be there with those people. I'd worked, I'd buried some of them. I'd been to the hospitals. I ran myself ragging for them. I love those people, my goodness. Hey, he was right. I mean, when, when he got done cutting my hair, I walked out. Pay, I paid him, then I walked out. And uh, I don't even think I said goodbye to him. I was angry. But you know, over the next few days, I thought about that thing. And he was right. As a matter of fact, if you go back to Tennessee Ridge today, and there's still some of the people in that church today that were there when I was there, well over, well over 40 years ago now. And you know those people? Brother Allison is just one of a number of names that they mention. They'll mention Brother Martin, Brother Bachelor. They'll mention Brother Carr. They'll mention any number of different preachers that they've had since I left. I was just another preacher. But the more I thought about that, I thought, well, that's good. I didn't go there to make a name for myself. I went there to uplift Jesus. I went there not to win them to me, but to win them to Him and to His Word. And as the more I thought about that, I thought, man, that's what we're all called to do. And, you know, the last few years, the Lord's granted some privileges of being able to preach out, but that doesn't change the fact I'm just another preacher. I'm just flesh. You know, God got along without me long before I was born, and He did just fine. And when I leave this earth, he's still going to do fine. He doesn't need me. I mean, after all, if I don't serve him, he'll bring somebody else in to serve him. God's in good shape. Everything's right. Just another preacher. You know, I have lost people come to our church practically every Sunday. And I have lost people leave after hearing me preach. Every Sunday. Just another preacher. 
That's it. 25% of my Sunday crowd doesn't come back Sunday night. Just another preacher. I mean, probably a total of 30% of my Sunday morning crowd doesn't come back on Wednesday. Why? Just another preacher. That's it. I realize that no matter what happens, I'll still just be another preacher. It's what I am. Now, I think I'm in pretty good company. I mean, after all, Paul was just another preacher. Uh, in verse 10, he couldn't keep Demas from turning to the world. Every preacher here has had your heart broken because somebody that you, were, you prayed over, that you may have even won to Christ. You've been training in the Word of God. You may have gotten them into some ministry in the church, but then they drop out because they just fell in love with the world. And, and, of course, you know what the preacher across town will say when that person comes to your church. Well, I'm sure you just weren't being fed over there. And that idiot preacher will believe everything that guy tells him about him. And then, of course, when he leaves that church, he'll be saying the same thing about that guy. Come on, you young preachers, you need to get a hold of this now and don't be shocked when it happens. Every Bible preacher I know has had people leave their church saying they didn't get fed at this church. I'm talking about Bible preachers. Solid, strong Bible preachers. Alexander the coppersmith did him evil. If you're going to pastor very long, you're going to have people do you evil. And you're going to have people do you evil. Some of the people that you gave the most to, did the most for, are going to end up being your strongest accusers. That's what happens. Hey, one of Jesus' disciples betrayed him. Guess what? That's the way it's going to be. Oh, but I'll be a nice guy. Nobody's going to... Oh, grow up. And here he says, no man stood with me. It's amazing how when a preacher gets in a fight, how many people that he's pastored and loved just kind of sit back and want to wait and see who wins. This is reality. But you see, God didn't call us to make a name for ourselves. He didn't call us to make us something, you know, that, so that we can be a leader among the independent fundamental Baptists. No, he called us to come and preach his word and lift him up. And whatever comes our way, so be it. Now, this is funny. We think we deserve a whole lot more. I look at the Apostle Paul. He goes to the areas of Galatia and starts churches around Galatia. After he leaves town, somebody else comes in and says, well, now you, that's good what Paul said, but you've got to keep the law of Moses and be circumcised if you want to really go to heaven. And he says, I marvel that you're so soon removed unto another gospel. And then he says to him in verse 4, or chapter 4, he tells him, he says, you know, when I came, where's the blessedness you spake of? You'd have given your own eyes for me. He said, am I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? And after starting those works, and for some of you who've started works that you've talked about here, and uh, you've got them going, listen, this can happen to you too. Paul goes over to Corinth, starts to work there, spends 18 months there, winning people to Christ. After he leaves, three years after he leaves, he writes back to them, and they are a mess. The first four chapters, they had division throughout the church. In chapter 5, they had a man taken in adultery with his father's wife, and they were puffed up about how broad-minded they were. And he says, turn such a one over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. 
And then they were going to law one against another. We don't do that today. We get on our Facebook page and slander people. That's what we do in our churches today. But it's the same thing. And then he has to warn them about fornication. And then he teaches them about marriage, divorce, and remarriage. And then chapters 8 through 10, he has to deal with them about eating meat offered in sacrifice to idols. The people who thought they were strong were the ones who said, doesn't hurt me after all. An idol's nothing in this world, and there's none other God but one. So eating meat offered to idols is really nothing. In chapter 10, he says that was the Gentile sacrifice. They sacrifice not to gods, but to devils. And I would not that you should have fellowship with devils. Chapter 11, they didn't understand they were to look different from the neck up, men and women, when they pray. Even in the privacy of prayer, men and women are to look different. They're to honor God's creation. They'd messed up on the Lord's Supper. They were partaking of it unworthily. In chapters 12 through 14, they were using their gifts as a matter of pride instead of service. He has to rebuke them about that. Chapter 15, we find out this is amazing. This is in a church Paul started. He said, how say some of you that there is no resurrection? Man, they must have not been taught well. Had nothing to do with the teacher. Had everything to do with the hearer, the listener. I I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say this. Preacher, it's just like you said last Sunday. And then they'll say something. And I'm thinking, I never said that. I've never said that in my life. I know I didn't say it last Sunday. I don't even believe that. Where in the world did they get that? Because people, for the most part, don't listen to what you say. They interpret what you say. And you are guilty of what they interpret you as saying. I tell our preacher boys at our place, uh, you know, this is the Miranda rights for preachers. Anything you say will be used against you, period. Not can be, will be. And when it's repeated, it won't be like you said it, as you said it, in the context in which you said it. And it's amazing how many other people will just simply believe it. So we look at Paul, and after the experience of starting those churches and starting the church at Corinth, I'd say you get pretty discouraged about planting churches. But that didn't stop him from continuing to do it. You say, was he a failure? No, he was just another preacher just another preacher. In the day of great preachers, we need to understand reality. John the Baptist, Jesus said of him that there'd never been one born better. What a compliment that he could put by his resume. But when he was asked by the Jews about being the Christ, he said, I'm a voice. I'm a voice. He must increase. I must decrease. If I win him to me, I haven't helped him. If I win him to Christ... If I can get them dedicated to him long after I've gone, they'll still be doing all right. Do you understand? I'm just another preacher in that line. I'm reminded of Galatians 6.3. If a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. Preachers need to understand. God got along fine before any of us were around. And when all of us have gone on to glory... He'll still get along just fine. He's God. Now that reminds me of some things about being just another preacher. Just another preacher? Well, yeah. First of all, we have the same Savior. I mean, if you don't have my Savior, you're lost. We've got the same Savior, same Jesus, 
The Jesus of this book, the Jesus who is God. I look at the Apostle Paul, he gives his testimony over in chapter 1 of 1 Timothy. And you'll notice in verse 13, he says in verse 13, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly and in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundantly with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. He doesn't say of whom I was chief. You see, all those things that he listed before, he received forgiveness because he did it ignorantly in unbelief. What is he saying when he says, who I am chief? I know in Romans chapter 7, verse 18, he declares, For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing, for the will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would I do not, the evil that I would not that I do. Then in verse 24, he cries out, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ my Lord. Same Savior. Yeah, I doubt there's a preacher here who hasn't let him down over and over again, but thank God for a Savior who saves forever. Hallelujah. As a matter of fact, in verse 16, it says, How be it for this cause I obtain mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them that should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. And then he gets excited. I believe he has one of those glory spells. For he says, now unto the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Then he goes on and keeps writing. We have the same Savior. For there is only one. As Peter preaching in Acts 4.12 said, neither is there salvation in any other. For there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. All of us had to see ourselves the same ways as hell-deserving sinners totally incapable of doing anything good enough to get us to even one square inch of heaven. Lost, undone. That's how a sinner has to see himself before he can get saved, before he can put his faith and trust in Christ. Otherwise, he's still going to be trusting some good things about himself. No, lost and undone. Christ is the only Savior. And hallelujah, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. By the way, I'm just going to throw this in. I hate Calvinism. I believe Calvinism blasphemes the God of the Bible. God says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Oh, no, preacher, that means the elect. That whosoever. No, that means the elect. God's not willing that any should perish. Yeah, any of the elect should perish. Nonsense. I saw a meme about that the other day. I don't even know what a meme is, but at least it, it called itself a meme. And it says, Calvinism summarized. The devil wants everybody. Jesus doesn't. Buddy, I think that says it right there. But Jesus does want everybody. He died for everybody. He is the propitiation for our sins, but not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. 1 John 2, 2. Hallelujah. Do you realize it took just as much of the blood of Jesus Christ to pay my sin debt as it did yours? 
Matter of fact, took just as much of the blood of Christ to pay the sin debt of that little bus kid that rode the bus last Sunday as it did mine. And took just as much of the blood of Christ to pay the sin debt of that drunkard, that prostitute, that wife beater, as it did mine. Hallelujah. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Just another preacher? Yeah, we've got the same Savior. Hallelujah. Hopefully, we have a definite calling. Let's take a little walk here. Let's go over to Romans chapter 1. We're just going to look at a few verses. Romans chapter 1, and I want you to notice verse 1. I love this. He says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle. Go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And he says, Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ, through the will of God, go over to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, the scripture says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. Go over to the book of Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by men, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Go over to, uh, let's see, go over to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 1. Scripture says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. When I was pastoring at Tennessee Ridge Baptist Church, at a time, I just got discouraged. I mean, I got depressed, discouraged. And there are going to be valleys like that in the ministry. It's what makes the mountaintops so good. But those mountaintops aren't near as long as the valleys. You understand that. But I, I mean, I was discouraged. I called a friend who was in Chattanooga, Tennessee, a missionary son, who was also in full-time service and studying for full-time service at the time. And I said, listen, I, I, I need to talk to you. I'll meet you in Murfreesboro. We'll meet at the awful house, uh, Waffle House. And uh, I said, I just got to talk to somebody. And that was only about an hour drive for him. It was a two-and-a-half-hour drive for me. I got there before he got there. And so I got myself a booth, ordered a cup of coffee, and I'm thinking, you know, while I'm waiting for Mike to come, I need to, I, I need to read something in the Word of God. And I thought, well, where am I going to read? I mean, when you pretty much have an idea of what at least the subject matter is in most all the chapters of the Bible, where are you going to pick to read where you don't know what you're going to be reading? And at that particular time, now this is over 40 years ago, I hadn't preached much in the book of Colossians. And so I thought, I'm going to turn to the book of Colossians. Colossians. And I opened it up, and I read, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. I could remember, it wasn't that many years before that, at First Baptist Church in Otsego, Michigan. I had asked my pastor. I felt like God might be calling me to preach. And he put me into an external Bible course to read. He said, you need to be spend more time in the Bible for you to find out. And I was praying about it, and I did a couple of courses, and then uh, pastor went on vacation, and we had a missionary come in the last Sunday in January 1974. And he was uh, Charles Hocking, missionary to Brazil with Baptist Mid-Missions. While he was preaching, he said that morning in his message something that I don't believe is always true. 
But when he said it, the Holy Spirit of God confirmed it in my heart. I mean, that missionary didn't know me from anybody else in the church. He had never met me before. I had never heard him before. And in his message, he said, If you think God may be calling you to preach, he is. And the moment he said it, the Spirit of God confirmed that in my heart. When the invitation was given, I stepped out, went forward, took him by the hand at the front, and he bypassed my hand, and he did something Yankees don't do. He hugged me right there in front of everybody in the church. And then he told everybody that I had come forward to surrender to preach. I was kind of stuck. By the way, when next six months, five other men of the church surrendered to preach, only one of those ever went off to Bible college, and I was the only one that preached out of all of them. And thank God, still going till God takes me home, I hope. I tell you what, going to be discouraging times, but I'm reminded of the words of the Apostle Paul, though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. For necessity is laid upon me, yea, woe is unto me, if I preach not the gospel. That's 1 Corinthians nine sixteen. He called me, but that only increases my responsibility. I, I, I could quote this verse, but I want you to see it. Go over to Hebrews chapter 13. A lot of people, we like those verses in Hebrews chapter 13. We love that verse in verse 7. Remember them which have the rule over you, have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow. Can say, oh, we like to beat them over the head with that one. Ah, we like to beat them over the head with verse 13. Uh, I'm sorry, verse 17, when it says, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. But don't ever stop reading there. For they watch for your souls as they that must give account. I don't know about you, but that scares me. At the judgment seat of Christ, I not only have to give account for myself, I've got to give account for everyone I've preached to for what they got. He says here that they may do it with joy and not with grief. After all, if I preach to them and they don't obey and they mess up their lives, I believe God's going to replay what I preach to them. So they can't plead ignorance. But I'm also going to have to give an account that I did give it to them, that I didn't hold back, but I gave them what they need. Why? I mean, I'm just another preacher. And I've got to be careful about it. You think, well, I've had some pretty good excess. Look at the tremendous growth we had. Listen, you know there were places Jesus went where the great crowds came and places Jesus went where they wanted to throw them off the cliff. Same Jesus. It all had to do with the ground. Think about the sower went forth the soul. It wasn't that he was a great sower. He sowed every place. The success had to do with the soil. Not the sower. Man, we have a big Sunday school class. We have a big day. We want everybody to know about it. Hey, we must be doing something right. Hey, the Pope had a big crowd last Sunday. He wasn't doing it right. Well, we get all excited about that stuff. We need to be careful now. Do you know what God uses? According to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, He uses the foolish to confound the wise. He uses the base to confound the things that are mighty. That's what he uses. Why? That man not get the glory, but God get the glory. If he can make a dumb donkey to talk in the Old Testament, he can make this donkey to talk as well. He's the one who made man's mouth. He is the one who gets the glory. The Bible says, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Just another preacher got the same Savior, got the same calling, 
got the same gospel. Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Turn quickly over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We've got such a clear definition of what the gospel is. I mean, if you, if you don't have this down as the gospel, then you better recheck yourself out. Because notice, beginning in verse 1, Paul writes to these people, and he says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you, notice the term, the gospel, which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, wherein ye stand, I love this, by which also ye are saved. All right, what is that gospel? Look at verse 3. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. The Campbellites down in our area, when they talk about the gospel and having a gospel meeting, if you say, what's the gospel to that Campbellite? He said, you got to hear, receive, repent, believe, and be baptized. That's not the gospel. The gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's his finished work on the cross of Calvary. That's the gospel. And yes, they've got to believe the gospel in order to go to heaven. They've got to receive that message of his death, burial, and resurrection if they want to go to heaven when they die. But that is the gospel. Now go over to Galatians real quick. Turn fast. Turn fast. I'll try it too. In Galatians chapter 1, these people had been removed from the gospel. They had accepted another gospel. And so notice what Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in verse 7, verse 8. But though we... Or an angel from heaven. I don't care if it's the angel Moroni or the angel Michael. Makes no difference. Though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you. Let him be accursed. And then he says, As we said before, so say I now again, If any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. We got one message, one message that saves. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is not a social gospel. It is not feeding them. It's not teaching them how to plant corn. Nothing wrong with teaching them how to plant corn, but that doesn't save anybody. They need the gospel. Let me give you one other thing and we'll be done. Got the same charge. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Now, by the way, in that matter where it talks about the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, that term, sound doctrine, is used four times. And every time, somewhere, either before it or after it, it talks about wickedness and evilness. I'll tell you, sound doctrine has something to do with good and evil, with right and wrong. I mean, this whole book is sound doctrine. You understand that. So when it comes down, let's take, for instance, about the fact that the women are to be modest in their clothing in 1 Timothy chapter 2. There was a preacher at Tennessee Ridge, two preachers before me, Brother Dan Carr. Now, I don't even know if he's still alive. He lived over in the Carolinas for a while. Do you know if he's still alive? Uh, but he was a pastor, two pastors before me, and he got up one Sunday morning. At that time, late 60s, early 70s, uh, many skirts were in. And unfortunately, never got out. But he got up that morning. He said, some of you women, you're allowing your daughters to wear miniskirts. And it's for one of two reasons. You're either ignorant or you're immoral. And he said, after this morning, 
you won't be ignorant. They didn't like that. They ran him off. But he told the truth. By the way, I'd like to say the same thing about yoga pants in public. That's underwear, man. They got no business wearing that as their outer garment. What in the world's wrong with people? I mean, you talk about immodest. You can't get much more immodest than that. And we got people wearing that garbage to church. Don't get upset. We're fine, aren't we? We're fine. I mean, hey, we just preach it all. I get people get mad at me too, but, but they know I'm a wonderful person. <laughs> I'm just another preacher. Just another preacher. And that's a good thing to be. Praise God. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to contact us, please write us at P.O. Box 126-541, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, 17112. And visit our website at www.svbcpa.org. Until next time, 